Thank you, Pastor Lewis. What a, what a blessing and a privilege to get to be with you guys this morning. Uh, wow, what an awesome service. Amen? I don't, I don't know if, uh, if anybody's ever listened, ever used to listen to the, the Christian singer Carmen. Anybody remember Carmen? Uh, unfortunately, he just passed away recently, but I grew up listening to Carmen, and Carmen used to, used to have this phrase where he said, you know, there's a difference between going to church and having church. And I think we're having some church this morning. Amen? Amen. I mean, I, I tell you what, uh, what an awesome time of worship and thinking about the nations, praying for the nations, um, hearing those wonderful kids sing. I mean, that was awesome. You guys knocked it out of the park, man. I mean, that was that was amazing. That was amazing. And just uh, my family and I are so blessed to get to be here with you guys this morning. Um, what a joy and a privilege for us. And uh, boy, we, we feel so welcome. We walk, I was telling Pastor Josh, we walked through the doors this morning and right away we just, just felt the welcoming atmosphere of, of this amazing church. And so we just thank you guys. You feel like family already. Uh, we probably feel like those weird, that weird uncle. But, you know, I mean, we're family, right? So, um, so what, what a joy to, to get to be with you guys. Um, I want to, Bo, would you mind show a picture of my family? They're sitting right down here up front. This is a picture of them there on the screen. Uh, my lovely wife, Jillian. Um, we met about, boy, time flies, doesn't it? We met over 20 years ago. We reached each other in unreached people's class in Bible school, learn, learning about Muslims together. And how many of you know it's, it's great to, to meet somebody that, that kind of feels the same calling as you? And you kind of get connected, and then just like Pastor Sean and his new bride, you, you become stronger because you're together. And uh, so, man, I tell you, it's exciting. So there's my lovely wife, Jillian, and we're blessed with three amazing kids, Gary, can you wave, Gary? Joel, and Camille. Uh, Gary is 14, Joel is 12, and Camille is 4. And, uh, you know, Camille means caboose in Hebrew because there will be no mo. Um, so... That's, uh, that's our family, and um, we, are, we are just, we're blessed. Um, we, we moved to Bangladesh in 2011, had a wonderful season of ministry there, uh, still love Bangladesh so much. Um, now, uh, about two and a half years ago, we joined a wonderful ministry called Global Initiative. Uh, we're, we're missionaries with this, with this ministry, and uh, there, you can see there, um, there's a picture of me uh, teaching a class in the Congo and my wife teaching a class in Papua New Guinea. Our whole purpose, our whole mi mission in this new missions assignment is to raise up the church, equip the church to reach Muslims, to reach the Muslims in their context. So as such, we, we're now going all over the place, raising up believers, teaching them and training them how to reach the Muslims in their areas. And so we do a lot of travel. Uh, during COVID, we haven't been able to go overseas, but you know what? There's a lot to do in terms of that right here in the U.S. And um, so we're just so blessed. There is no shortage of work in the kingdom of God. No shortage. There's a help wanted sign. And, uh, and we're just so, so blessed to be a part of this ministry. You see there, uh, say hello. That's a specific ministry for training up Christian women to reach Muslim women. And so if, if you're a lady this morning, I would invite you to please talk to my wife afterwards. Uh, she loves sharing about what the ministry of Say Hello and what, uh, what that is all about. And we would love to connect with you guys. We have a booth right outside those doors and at the red table in the foyer. And we, we brought some materials with us. A big part of what we do, in addition to, to training and equipping, we produce a lot of resources. So we've got booklets on reaching Muslims. Um, this one is a really great one for, uh, it's a, it's a seven-day devotional for ladies and just getting a heart for the Muslim women in your town. And uh, these are all free. They don't, they, they've already been paid for, so please take them. And you know what? I don't want to take them back home because they get heavy when there's a lot of them. So please take them. And uh, we would love, we have, we have plenty, and um, don't be bashful about that. We also would love everybody to take a prayer card. You know, any missionary, any missionary, are, are the fuel for going forward is prayer. You know, we, we, we all have support we have to raise, but when we are speaking in churches, when we're going all over the place, uh, we're not really raising funds, we're raising prayer support. And so we need your prayers. And so we have, uh, we have these things called, we call them prayer cards, but you know, you can stick it on your fridge, stick it wherever you go to often in your house, and, um, and please pray for us. We need your prayers. Uh, 
uh, as we go forward in the ministry that God's called us to. Over this next year, we're going to be raising a budget. And actually, I'm really excited. Uh, when Pastor Lewis invited us to come, I, I had no idea we'd be able to start this this soon. But we're, st- we're launching into a new itineration season this summer. So you guys are our first stop where we're uh, presenting, a, a, raising a new budget. We're, over this next year, we're raising $20,000 in cash offerings and $2,000, sorry, $30,000 in cash offerings. I need to get my numbers right. Like I said, this is the first one. Um, And $2,000 in new monthly commitments. And uh, so just, you know, you guys are already a huge part of that. We are so thankful for your partnership. So thankful for what you are already doing. And we are, we we feel your prayers. Uh, We are blessed by your partnership. And uh, how many of you would just pray that we could get this thing raised over this next year and just continue on in the ministry that God's called us to? Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Well, that's it for the commercials. I'm like YouTube. I do an ad at the beginning. Um, So I want to just go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing on this time. Um, Just so blessed to get to be here with you guys. Uh, We don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted that you would open the doors to us and uh, or that you would partner with us. We're just we feel so blessed this morning to get to be with you. Let's let's pray and ask God's blessing on this time. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good. I thank you that you are a missionary God. I thank you today for your heart for the nations. I thank you, Lord, that you are not a God who is far away and unconcerned with the plight of all of mankind. And, Lord, this isn't our mission. This is your mission because you are close. You are close. You are near. And you are concerned for the lost today. You are concerned for the lost today. Father, I pray, Lord, that that you would be glorified in the remainder of this service. I thank you so much, Lord. It's all for you. Lord, it's all for you. This is all, let this all be worship unto you, God. Lord, we have worshipped you in song. We have worshipped you in giving. We have worshipped you in fellowship. And now, Lord, may I worship you as I speak. May my brothers and sisters worship you as they hear. Because it's all for you. It's all for you. Lord, I ask this in your name. I pray that you would be glorified this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a quick two-minute video to show you, and I'll be right back. Personally, I don't know any Bosles. Never met any. Never been around them. and don't have anything against them. If they just leave us alone. Not be terrorists. I'd be lying if I said I didn't get nervous whenever I saw one of them in an airport. I didn't know I could reach out to them. I just um, stayed by themselves. I just sometimes wish they'd just all go away. They don't belong here. Muslims seem to hate Americans. I'm in the Marines and I've been fighting them for too long. After 9 11, I'm hearing all about the terrorist groups. I don't really care. About I don't know. Muslims just make me feel uncomfortable. I'm sure she'd be really pretty if she wasn't wearing that huge dog. When a Muslim dress, you never know whether they're carrying bombs or guns underneath their dress. I think that Muslims should just go home. I really don't like to get involved in religious stuff. Well, whatever they believe, that's. Well, my husband was in the military and we've had enough of those people. We are all the same. It doesn't matter where you're from or where you live. We are all God's children. Awaken and let go of your fear, anger, or indifference. Let's start showing the love of Christ. church, every Muslim needs to know the truth about Jesus. For that matter, every lost person needs to know the truth about Jesus. I'll never forget it. It was a, a day back in 2011. We had just moved to Bangladesh, and we had never 
visited there, Pastor Josh, prior to moving there. And I tell you what, when we, when we landed, we had some of the most intense culture shock that we had ever experienced. And, we, you know, we were just kind of trying to figure out how to, how to buy a banana when there's 14 different kinds of bananas in the market, trying to figure out how to, you know, pay our rent on our apartment, trying to figure out all these things. And, and we, were, we were really going through some intense uh, time of adjustment. And my wife and I, uh, you know, our, our two older kids were very young at the time. They were four and three years old. And, you know, we thought, man, we got to get these kids out of this apartment. So we got this harebrained idea that we're going to take our kids to the Dhaka Zoo. Dhaka is the capital of Bangladesh, 16 million people uh, in a space, very, very small, a very tight space. And uh, the, our first inclination that this was a crazy idea should have been the fact that none of our mission, other missionary colleagues ever took their kids to the Dhaka Zoo. But we said, you know what, we're just crazy enough to try. So we go to this place, you see there on the screen, and everything was pretty, pretty good, you know, at first. I mean, our kids were enjoying all the animals, especially the ones that were inside cages. And, uh, you know, we, we, we were kind of the, the main attraction that day. We had people, we wound up on a lot of YouTube videos that day, I think. We had a lot of people filming us and uh, because no one else looked like us there. And uh, so about two or three hours into our, our time at the zoo, uh, we thought, you know what, we've, we've kind of had our fill. This is good. We're, we're good. And so we decided to make our exit. Well, on the way out, we got into a conversation with this, this man. He had on his white prayer cap, his white prayer clothing from his shoulders to his ankles. His wife was standing beside him. She had on a, on a full black burqa from head to toe. All you could see were her eyes. As I'm standing there talking to the, the man and his wife was kind of conversing with our kiddos, all of a sudden my conversation took a very unusual turn. This man took a step towards me and said, tell me, are there Jews in your country? I just froze. I'm like, I thought, why is somebody like that asking me a question like this? I mean, you know, we, we had never lived in a Muslim country, but we knew enough about Islam that it's like, okay, Jews, Israel, ah, 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 off limits. Nope, not going there. So I just froze. So he asked me again, this time a little bit more forcefully. I need to know, are there Jews in your country? Well, by that time, I'm motioning to Jillian, like, grab the kids and run. Let's, let's get out of here. Let's go. So... He asked me again a third time. We politely excuse ourselves from the conversation and make our exit. That was the end of our Dhaka Zoo experience. Well, a couple of weeks later, I'm sitting in my living room with our, our, uh, our leader who had come to visit us and see how we were doing, make sure we were still alive. And I said, man, Dwayne, the funniest thing happened at the zoo. This guy wanted to know if I have Jews in my country. Why, why would a Muslim man ask that? My friend Dwayne, he just almost fell out of his seat laughing. He said, Mel, in the Bengali language, they have a difficult time with the z sound. It comes out like a j. So he only wanted to know if you have zoos in your country. That's all he wanted to know. And he's probably thinking, this crazy foreigner doesn't want to answer a simple question about a zoo. Come on. Church, I learned something that day. That has proven true about every single Muslim I have met since then. They just want to get to know us. They are curious about every part of our lives. And I cannot tell you how many times that that curiosity has led to conversations about Jesus. The door could have been open that day for me to step into a gospel conversation with someone who was lost. But my own fear, my own preconceived notions looking at his wife, looking at him, seeing how he's dressed. My own fear cost me a good opportunity to share the love of Christ with someone. I want to talk to you this morning about four responses that you and I can have to the lost. Four responses to the lost. Fear is a big one, isn't it? Fear can keep us from doing what God calls us to do. Fear can keep us from going where God calls us to go. Whether it's across the seas or across the street, fear can keep us paralyzed, can keep us from obeying. Church, that's not what God has for us. We need to lay aside the fear. But you know, fear isn't the only kind of response. Sometimes our issue is not that we're afraid of relating to a loss like I was 
uh, relating to that man at the zoo. But we're just too angry with them to even share Jesus with them. I want to tell you another story. Uh, about a year and a half ago, Jillian was in Papua New Guinea teaching a class on ministry to Muslims. And, and, and we do, with Global Initiative, we do a lot of training in Bible schools and really wherever. But this particular class was in a Bible school in Papua New Guinea. And on the very first day of class, Jillian asked the, Jillian asked the students, what is one thing that comes to your mind when you think of Muslims? One of the students, his name was Theodore, he stood up and said, as a Christian, I hate them. Then he began to go on with how he was so tired of the Muslims in his area. And how he had even, he had even began talking to a group of, of friends about how they might go and vandalize and even burn down the local mosque. This was a young man studying for ministry in the Bible school. Well, as the week went on, as, as Theodore, day in and day out, was hearing from my wife on ministry to Muslims, was hearing about how, how God's call for the lost and God's call for us to love everybody. By the end of the week, the same student was leading the class in a prayer of intercession for those same people that he hated just a few days earlier. He said, you know what? I don't want to burn down the mosque anymore. I'm going to go there and meet some Muslims so I can share Jesus with them. By the end of this class, this same student who had begun with such anger in his heart towards his Muslim neighbors was saying to Jillian and to the other say hello team that was there, I want to go to the border of Indonesia, which borders Papua New Guinea, and start a ministry to Muslims. This man's heart has com had completely changed. He had let go of the anger. He let go of the anger. You know, we can see in the scriptures that an example of a, of a disciple, of a couple of disciples getting angry, getting angry, responding in anger to a loss. In Luke chapter 9, verse, uh, verses 54 and 55, says this, And when Jesus' disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Let me set this up for you a little bit. Jesus was in his last few days of his earthly ministry. He was on the way to Jerusalem, and he had sent his disciples to go into a village in Samaria to make some preparations for him, to basically set up a place to stay and a place to get some food on the journey on to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans wouldn't even open the door. This made the disciples mad. And they say to Jesus these words, hey, hey, how about we just wipe them out? How about that, Jesus? Is that, is that cool? I mean, they're, they're really making us mad. And notice Jesus' response. He rebukes them. He says, no, this is not the way. This is not the way of the kingdom. Jesus was calling his disciples to lay aside their anger. So church, when it comes to responses to the lost that you and I may have. Sometimes we can, we can, the fear can definitely creep up. I tell you, so there were times when we lived in Bangladesh that I felt like I had to wrestle down fear on a daily basis. Fear is a pretty natural instinct, but it's one that Jesus wants us to overcome. Sometimes we can get angry. I mean, the lost do things that are characteristic of being lost, Right? And there are, thi there are things that the lost might do that, that we might get angry about. I mean, when there's, a, when there's some kind of terrorist attack somewhere in the world, and our whole ministry is about reaching Muslims, man, it's hard not to get angry. But the lost do things that lost people do. And Jesus is saying, you've got to lay it down. You've got to lay down the anger. You've got to lay down the fear. But you know, brothers and sisters, fear and anger are not what I think are the worst responses we can have to the lost. I think the worst response that we could have to the lost is indifference. Indifference. Indifference to their spiritual plight. Indifference to their eternal destination. I remember uh, two years ago I was in the Congo, uh, which was a, a wonderful we had a wonderful time of, of uh, teaching pastors and other leaders there how to, how to reach Muslims. And, 
one of the, I have a picture of uh, this young man named Eric. Um, thank you, my brother. And Eric uh, was one of our students. Eric knew, had, Eric had a Muslim friend. And, um, and, and for a time, he had, he had kind of tried to share Jesus with him, but then kind of gave up because he wasn't really feeling like it was making any impact. And he's like, well, you know, whatever. He believes what he believes. I believe what I believe. But then he comes into our class, and he starts learning about reaching Muslims, starts really getting a sense of their lostness and their need for Jesus. And Eric, this student, is reinvigorated to go back to his, to his Muslim friend and start sharing with him again. Well, after, many, after several times of, of meeting with this Muslim man, one day his friend comes bounding into Eric's house and says, I want to know your Jesus. You see, Eric had laid aside his indifference to his friend's spiritual plight and said, I need to share the gospel with him. He needs Jesus. You know, brothers and sisters, indifference is so insidious. It's one of those things that if we don't, if, we, if we're not careful, if we don't, uh, if, if we're not aware, we can be swimming in indifference without even knowing it. There was somebody in the Bible who was, who was also pretty indifferent. We, we can read in, in Jonah chapter 4 a very interesting account of, of Jonah's indifference towards the people of Nineveh. You, you know the story? God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, a very wicked city, a city that, that by all intents and purposes was, was dangerous, was, was in, it, you know, they had the judgment of God coming to them. They were a wicked people. And as we know, Jonah went the opposite direction. God said, go to Nineveh. He went the opposite way. Then God graciously saves his life by, instead of him drowning, he gets swallowed by a whale. Then gets spit up on the, on the beach and then reluctantly goes to Nineveh. But then after, he preaches the Nineveh, to the Ninevites. And they repent. They actually repent. He gets angry. And the Bible says he goes out. Sits up a little booth. I kind of picture him sitting up on a hill and overlooking the city. And, he's, and he might be thinking, oh, just maybe God's still going to take them out. God's going to wipe this people out. The Bible says that God, God allowed a, a plant to grow that, to provide him some shade. And Jonah thought, hey, this is pretty cool. I got, a, I got like a, a I'm, not, I'm not in the cheap seats here. This is cool. I get a front row seat to watch God destroy this place, and I'm comfortable. This is awesome. Thank you, God. But then the next day, a bug devours that plant in Jonah's mind. And all he can think about is the plant. And God comes to him here in Jonah chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. He says, the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who, you, who do not know their right hand from their left. Church, God cares about the lost. God pitied Nineveh. And he puts his finger on Jonah's heart. And I think that God was graciously showing Jonah something about his own heart and what he allowed to happen with the plant, with it coming up and with it being destroyed. That Jonah's whole focus was his own comfort, his own ease. He cared more about that than the spiritual plight of the Ninevites. He was indifferent to their lostness. And God gently says, hey, I pity them. I pity them. It's a beautiful book. I love the book of Jonah, and it ends with a question. That's actually the very end of the book. And I think it ends that way because God wants to show us. God, it's like a question God asking each one of us. I'm pitying them. Are you? I'm pitying the lost. Are you? I'm thinking about the lost. I'm not indifferent to the lost. Are you? Church, when is the last time that you thought about the lost? When is the last time that you thought about that lost person in Pakistan today who is perishing without Christ 
headed to a crisis eternity unless somebody goes. When is the last time you dwelt on the, on the lostness of your coworker? Who, though they are here in, 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 a, in the Midwest where there are churches and there are Bibles and there are Christians, they're still lost. And unless somebody speaks the word to them, they're going to remain that way. I'll never forget one time in Bangladesh when my indifference was dealt with in a really big way. Every year in Bangladesh, the, 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 the nation hosts the second largest gathering of Muslims anywhere in the world. It's this huge prayer meeting they call Bishwa Islam. I have a picture of it, um, and you can just see this vast number of people. Um, and one of my missionary colleagues took me up on this bridge, and that's, we were kind of overlooking the crowd that you see there. And my friend said to me, unless we do something big and something fast, hell is going to be full of a lot of Bangladeshis. We can't be indifferent to the spiritual hunger. This picture is about nine years old. I wonder how many of those in this very picture have already crossed into a crisis eternity. They need somebody to share the gospel with them. Church, they need someone to share the gospel with them. We cannot be indifferent to people's spiritual plight. The day that my, I'll never forget the day that my indifference was dealt with once and for all. I was, a col I was in college, uh, this was back in 1997. This, at a school in South Texas. And for the first time in my life, you know, outside of high school for the first time and outside of my own little Christian bubble, I, had, I, had, I was on this campus where there were Muslims and Buddhists and atheists and Taoists. And, and, and I lived with these guys in my dorm. And, and, and I really wrestled with this because I thought, you know, okay, Lord, I know you're for me. I know you died for me. I know you saved me, but what about my Muslim friend? If he does all that he's supposed to do, if he follows his way, if he does those five pillars and does all the things that he's supposed to do in his faith, is he going to be okay? At the last day when he stands before Allah, if he's done what's right according to his faith, is he just going to be led into paradise? That was a burning question in my heart in 1997. I'll never forget taking a prayer walk, have my Bible with me. It's dangerous sometimes to take your Bible on a prayer walk. Because God will show you something. And I just, I was wrestling with this issue. And I, I opened the Bible, and the page fell to John 14, 6. Now, I'm not a big advocate for lucky dipping. You know, that's when you just open the page and go up. But on this particular day, the Lord just had me open up to John 14, and I started reading at verse 1, and I got down to verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Brothers and sisters, I had grown up in church. I'd heard that verse probably a, a thousand times, but it was in that moment, the truth of that scripture dropped into my heart like ne never before, and I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, Mel, your Muslim friend is not okay. He needs me. Your Buddhist friend is not okay. He needs me. Church, Jesus is the way. And if he is the way, that changes everything. After that moment, of, uh, when, when the Lord dropped the truth of John 14, 6 into my heart like never before, we call it soteriological exclusivity, don't we? When, when the Lord dropped the truth of my heart, and uh, of that scripture into my heart like never before, everything changed for me. It was no longer business as usual. With my Muslim friend, it was no longer just, hey, let's just shoot the breeze and, and live life like everything is hunky-dory. My Muslim friend, and friend needed Jesus. That changed it for me, church. Our indifference cannot stand in the face of a verse like that. It can't happen. If we believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father except through Him. That changes everything. That changes how we 
relate to our neighbors. That changes how we pray for people on the other side of the world, how we support missionaries. It changes everything. It might even change what we do with our lives. I wouldn't be right here right now if the Lord had not spoken to my heart in that way that day. Missions hangs on the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way. And if that is true, it changes everything. The Lord is calling us, church, to let go of our indifference. To let go of our fear. To let go of our anger. And there's one last response, and this is the, this is the good part. The Lord calls us to embrace love. To love. That's a possible response to the lost. To love. Now, this isn't a natural love. And this is what I love about following the Lord. This is supernatural. Following Jesus is a supernatural journey. And when, the, when, when, the, when we follow Jesus and when we submit our lives to him and put our lives in his hands, he is faithful to put love in our heart. It's like that old Keith Green song, you put this love in my heart. It's true. He does. He puts, he puts the love in our heart. It's not a natural love. Because there are things, there are, there are hard things in the world. When ISIS attacked the city that we love in Bangladesh, I had a hard time loving. But this is a supernatural love. This is a supernatural love. How, how is it possible to love? I think in my life it's worked in two ways. First of all, through praying for the lost. When I was a student at a Bible school 20 years ago, same place I met Jillian, I started going to this Muslim pra- this, this prayer meeting for Muslims. I didn't know anything about Muslims other than what I had, had heard from my friend at my other college. And, and, uh, and I just said, well, I'll give this a try. You know what was amazing? That out of that prayer meeting, the Lord burst in my heart an undying and unrelenting love for Muslims. It just happened. I think this is why Jesus tells us to love, our in, to, to love and pray for our enemies. Because if you, if you pray for somebody who is your enemy, before long they won't be your enemy. It's just how it works. The Lord puts the love in our heart when we begin to pray for, for people. And so one, one of the big things that we do with Global Initiative is we, um, we host a worldwide prayer meeting called Juma Prayer Fellowship. And you can see up here on the screen there's an app that I would encourage you to get. I would invite you to get it um, every Friday. An estimated 60,000 believers from all over the world join together and pray for Muslims. And so every Friday, there's three, three quick bullet point prayers that you can put on there. And so please download that app, and we'd love for you to be among those who are joining us in praying for Muslims. That is a prayer meeting that the Bible school I went to had a Juma prayer fellowship. We just started praying for Muslims. That birthed a calling in my heart. Just, just by praying. Number two, the second way that love can develop in our heart is to remember where we've, came, where we've come from. To remember where we've come from. Now, I, I, I love this. You know, I, I just love the book of Ephesians. I've been digging into Ephesians lately, and uh, Pastor Lewis, it's just gotten a hold of me, brother. And so I want to, this, this verse in, from Ephesians, um, if you could put that up on the screen, my brother. Ephesians 2. Uh, verse 12 says this, remember that at one time, at that time, you are separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Church, that is where we were. That is where we were. We need to remember where where we have come from. And I love the, the first few verses of that of the next verse, verse 13 says, but now in Christ, but now in Christ. I love that. I, I mean, that's, but now in Christ. Those are my four favorite words. But now in Christ. We have been changed. Has Christ done that in your heart? Has Christ changed you? Have you been brought from death into life? Are you a new creation? 
Are you, has the old passed away? Do you have hope now? Brothers and sisters, we must remember where we've come from. None of us came out of the womb saved. All of us have a testimony. Even if you grew up in church your whole life, you know your inner thoughts. You know what God has saved you from. I want to challenge you to reflect on that this morning. And know the Lord has brought you a mighty long way. Don't you want to see him do that for somebody else? Don't you want to see him reach into the heart of your neighbor? Reach into the heart of that person you've, you've been, you know is lost and you know you want to talk to him. Don't you want to see that happen for them? The thing that's happened for you so gloriously. Brothers and sisters, let us remember where we have come from. God has brought me a mighty long way. And when we, when we remember that, when we begin praying for the lost, asking for love in our hearts, when we remember where we've come from, you know, you may be doing some crazy stuff, but I know what I'd be doing if I wasn't saved. I know, I know the mess I'd be in if it wasn't for Jesus. Let's bring them in. Let's bring them in. Let's respond in love. I'm going to conclude with this. If we find ourselves today responding in fear, Angry, anger or indifference. Here's the good news. We can change. We can change. The Lord is all about new beginnings. The Lord is all about a new day. The Lord is all about a new morning, a new dawn in your life. And you may be, you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, you know what? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, check. Yeah, I've, I've been angry, check. Yeah, I've been a little bit of afraid to go over there. Oh, yeah, I, I really haven't cared about anybody's where they're going in eternity. Well, brothers and sisters, here's the thing. Let's not stay there. Let's not stay there. Each of us can change, and each of us needs to change as we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ by the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. We must change. Because God has a work for you to do. God has a work for you to do. And I'm thankful today, brothers and sisters, that God is the God of another chance. That day at the Daka Zoo, I missed it. But the Lord has given me countless chances since then. I don't even like to say God is the God of a second chance because I need more than a second chance. Come on. God is the God of another chance. I want to share one more scripture with you, and I just, I just love this. This gets me excited. In Acts chapter 8, verse 14, we read about something happening in Samaria. I want you to think about what we just read a, a few minutes ago, and then check this out. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Whoa, 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 wait a second. Now, wasn't John one of the guys who wanted to call down fire on the Samaritan village just a little bit before this? Yes. But something happened in John's heart. Something happened. Something must have happened. Because he let go of that anger. And I don't know for sure, but I can just picture it like this. John knows he messed up in what he said about calling fire on the down Samaritans because Jesus rebuked him, right? He knew he messed up. And so here's John. The, the church has started. The day of Pentecost came. The church, is, the church is going forward. There are great things happening. The word of God is going forward and throughout the villages of, villages of Samaria. And John's just waiting to be used. John's just waiting to be sent. And all of a sudden, the church says, the church leaders say, why don't you go? Why don't you go? You go to the villages of Samaria. Because God is a God of another chance. The Bible says uh, later in that same chapter, verse 25, says this, that now when they had testified 
being the apostles. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the, Samari of the Samaritans. Here's a man who at one, at one time, not too long before this time, had been so mad he wanted to call down fire on this people group. Now he's going and preaching. Because God is the God of a new worship. Somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was after Jesus rebuked them. I don't know if it was after Pentecost. But John let go of that anger. And he was ready. He made himself ready to go. Brothers and sisters, God has a calling for you. God has a calling for you. And I love, I love the heart of this church, Pastor Josh, that you guys are supporting missionaries. And, and that just blows me away, what you guys are doing in your partnership to missionaries. Along with that, not in opposition to that, but along with that, it is my prayer that each one of us would lay down the offering plate and get in with our lives. Your life is the greatest offering that you can give to missions. Your life. God has a purpose for you. So we, as his church, have a choice to make. Every time we go out and see the lost, and, and they're all around us. This morning, on the way in, we stopped at a gas station, and the lady asked me, where are you heading to this morning? I said, we're going to church. And she said, oh, okay. The lost are all around us. This is an unchurched place. God wants, to, God wants us to lay aside the fear, the anger, the indifference, and be used for His glory. You have a chance. I want to show you another picture. If you wouldn't mind to do that. Here's the next to last picture, Bo. Looking at this picture here, you might wonder, well, is that Saudi Arabia? Could be somewhere in the Middle East. Actually, that is a picture of the mosque in Joplin, Missouri. The lost are right here. They're waiting. They're waiting for believers who will lay aside every bit of fear. Say, Lord, they're, they're kind of different. It's kind of a scary culture. I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to even talk to. Lay it aside. Lord, I'm kind of mad at at, at, how, at what they've been doing. I'm kind of mad at how they're doing this or doing that. Lay it aside. Lord, I just don't even. I just don't even think about it. Think about it. God's thinking about it. God's thinking about it. One more picture and then, then I'm done. This is a picture of, uh, I'm standing there on the left, and a couple of colleagues on the right, but the man in the middle, his name is Faisal. And he is one of the 500 Somali refugees in Knoll, Missouri, about an hour away from here. Somalia is a very tough country for anybody to get into who wants to do missions work. Yet the Lord is bringing all these Somalis here. Three of the five tribes of Somalia have never in their history had a believer. Picture that for a moment. No Christians, no Bibles, no churches, no hope. Yet people like that are an hour away from here. In a land where we have the freedom share. May we be a church that says, I'm not letting anybody stand, anything stand in the way of sharing and sharing and sharing, sharing the love of Christ until I give it all, until I am done with this life, sharing Jesus. There may be people in this room today, you feel the Lord leading you overseas. And if that is you, Boy, I rejoice with you. It is awesome to live overseas. And if, if the Lord is stirring that in your heart, you know it's not the devil. 
You know that's not the devil. Go with it. Go with it. There are some people in this room. While I've been talking, the Lord has been bringing people to your mind. Maybe it's that neighbor you know is lost as all get out, but you have never, ever had a conversation with them about the hope that you have. Maybe it's that coworker who's in the same boat. The devil's not bringing those people to your mind, church. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts this morning because here's the deal. God is thinking about them. God is thinking about them. He says, should I not pity them? They don't know their spiritual right hand from their spiritual left. They're lost. Headed to a crisis eternity unless somebody speaks to them. Church, faith still comes by hearing. The Bible says that, the, that for faith to be established, the word of God must go forth. God wants to use you and me. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And I'm going to close. Back in uh, the early days of my wife and I's marriage, before we had any kids, and uh, we, were, we were young church planters in Colorado Springs. And as a bivocational church, past church planter, um, I, was, I worked at a, at a credit union. And when, um, and every once in a while, uh, I, would, I would issue these things called cashier's checks. And if you do much banking, you're familiar with what a cashier's check is. Uh, but sometimes, and this would be rare, someone would have gotten a cashier's check and then bring it in because they no longer needed it. And if that happened, I would flip that cashier's check over on the back, and I would write up at the top under the endorsement, not used for purpose intended. Not used for purpose intended. That's a phrase that has stuck with me for almost 18 years. And it's been my prayer, brothers and sisters, that my life would be used for the purpose that God intended me to. I don't want to do anything else. Now, that doesn't mean that all of us are going to be full-time vocational ministers or pastors, missionaries. But all of us have a purpose in God. All of us. God didn't save you just so you could sit in the pew. Now, I know for many, I'm preaching to the choir because you've already laid aside the fear, anger, and indifference. You're just trying to figure out how to love better. And praise God. I know that that's many of you. But I want to challenge you this morning, church, to, to think with everybody's head bowed, everybody's eyes closed. Just spend a moment reflecting on your own heart. What's God speaking to you about your life? What's God speaking to you about his purpose for your life? I love what Ephesians 2 verse 10 says. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Brothers and sisters, before you were even born, God had a great task to lay before you. God had a great purpose for your life. Now, we know we are not saved by works, but church, you are saved for works. You're saved for a work. God has a plan for your life. And so now the way I'd, I'd like to, to close up this morning is by asking you this simple question. What are you doing about it? Where are you at with God's plan for your life? Are you stuck in fear, anger, or indifference? And that's, that's what one of the results of, of, of those attributes is that they, they get us stuck. They paralyze us. They keep us from obeying God's call for us. Are you, have you laid those aside? Do you want God's purpose for your life? As we, as we wrap up, I just want to ask that question. With everybody's head bowed, if you would say to me this morning, you know what, Mel? I want to lay aside everything and just follow God's purpose for me. I'm going to lay it aside. I'm not asking you to commit to going overseas as a missionary, but I'm asking you to say, Lord, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, I'm open. I want to lay aside anything that would hinder me. 
and I just want to follow your plan for my life. If that is you, I just want you to lift up your hand. If that's where you're at. Church, I, I know that I am in a, I'm in a great place this morning, a place full of saints that are on fire for the Lord, a place full of saints that want God, want to see God's mission happen in this world. And if that, and, and and as you, as many of you raise your hands this morning, and even if you didn't, I want to ask anybody that would say, you know what, I just want to, I I just want to be a part of what God is doing in this world. Would you, would you just stand to your feet with me? Would you stand to your feet? And I want you to lift up both hands and just take a moment to talk to God about what he would have you to do with your life. About And maybe you're here this morning and you're one of those who maybe you have some fear that you know you need to lay aside. Maybe you have some anger that, in your heart that you need to deal with. Hey, the disciples have been there with you. And God is a God of another chance. Maybe you've got some indifference that you need to let go and have a fresh sense of the lostness of the people around you. If that is you this morning, I just want to ask you to just, just talk to the Lord about it. As you're lifting your hands, talk to the Lord. God is for you. God is for you. There is nothing like following Jesus. There is no better life, no greater joy than laying it all down and following him and following him. A life of following the call of God is a life of joy, a life of joy. Would you lay aside whatever hinders and follow after Jesus with all your heart, saying, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want, I want your purpose for my life. As you pray, I'm just going to love the honor to pray for you. And then I'm going to hand it back to Pastor Josh. Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much for these wonderful people. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for their ministry. I thank you, Lord God, that for their hearts, for the nations, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are using them in such a mighty way to impact the world. Father, I pray today that you would anoint my brothers and sisters for works of ministry like never before. God, let each one of us, God, lay aside anything that would hinder us, whether it's fear or anger or indifference. Let us lay it aside and let us follow you with all of our hearts, God. Let us go after you with everything within us, Lord. Lord, let us look to you. Let us look to you. Give us the words to speak. Give us your heart for the lost. In Jesus' name.